And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Top 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 Podcast. I'm your host, Terrence Reno, alongside me, co-host Dan Kylie. Episode 81 of the Top 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 Podcast. We have a loaded show tonight. Uh, a lot to talk about, a lot of ground to cover. We haven't really focused on specific position battles over the last few weeks building up to spring practice. Uh, not, not, not being truthfully honest with y'all, spring practice has sprung up on me quickly, a lot quicker than I expected it to. I mean, whew, this offseason's already moving by in a flash. Dan, how are you doing this Monday evening? Uh, it is a Monday. Uh, like I told you, I have decided to start fasting uh, to try to lose some weight because I've gained way too much, uh, way too much partying and joining that national championship. So uh, I was a miserable person today, but I did get to eat, so I'm happy now. <laughs> Absolutely. Dan, we got some hot topics. We have two really good ones. I think both of them are very interesting. You touched on one last night on the 4Y podcast, which covers not only the NFL right now, it covers everything, baseball, basketball, Football, the offseason, everything right now. Anything y'all want to be talked about on there, y'all hit up the 4Y podcast over on the Film Guy Network, and they will talk about Dan, Jeremiah, and Jonathan. But, Dan, let's hit top topic number one. Hugh Freeze said the college football game, game as a whole, football, should be optimized entirely for the fans at the game and not the ones who watch on TV. I think this is fairly straightforward, but I want your take. Do you agree or disagree? And give us some why. Well, I understand what he's saying now that I have a little bit of clarity. I, yeah, I read the article and you kind of explained it to me. So I understand what he's saying. Um, basically, what he said was that, um, you know, that's great for the people that are watching on TV at home, but they can get up, go get another cold drink, go use the bathroom, whatever, and come right back to the TV. Like the, the commercials and stuff like that, it doesn't bother them. They don't have to watch them. They can go do something else. The people at the game are the ones that suffer through all that stuff, especially when it's like 100 degrees outside. And they take those long extended commercial breaks and you just sit there and bake in the sun and nothing's happening. That's why, honestly, that's why I don't go to games anymore. I don't really enjoy going to games anymore because it's it's like you just sit there and there's so much downtime because of the TV. But I understand what Hugh Freeze is saying. And his whole point is that if you're going to make new rules and make them benefit the people inside the stadium, not the ones at home. But we all know the mighty dollar drives everything in this world and TV drives this business. There's a reason that all these people have, all these schools have these big fancy things, this, those big contracts that the SEC signs. And the TV money drives most of that, if, uh, you know, a lot of it. So I understand what he's saying. I like the sediment. Um, you know, let's take care of the people who come out and support us in person. I understand that. I agree with that 100%. But we both know that's never going to happen. No, it won't happen, and that's the thing. The NCAA, as Dan says, does what they want and does what the money tells them to do. I learned something today in reading the article from shout-out to AL.com, uh, who, which covered, I guess this was an interview with Hugh Freeze or maybe a press conference where he touched on these rule changes. Anyways, they provided the quotes uh, in this article in which we have then uh, taken and put it into our hot topic. But it basically, yeah, as Dan says, what Hugh Freeze wants is more rules where the people at the game – are benefiting from rather than the people who aren't uh, taking away. I, I guess you can argue that taking away the stop clock on first down kind of helps optimize the experience for fans and that they're not sitting in the sun and baking in the sun uh, with a stop clock as often. But then again, that, that change is a very minimal. I don't think much time is going to run off. Well, maybe, maybe it does. Maybe I, I, I don't know. I'm not a scientist here. I'm not a mathematician. Uh, 
But I understand and I agree with you, Freeze. We should be doing things for the fans at the game and less for the fans on TV who can do whatever they want, whenever they want, because you're in the comfort of your own home. And I agree with you, Dan. I am someone who also has never really liked going games. Now, I've done it in this era of where TV timeouts are three minutes long, takes forever, and there's just so many stoppages. And with the broadcast, at least with the broadcast, there is somebody sitting there filling air, filling time, whether it's the sideline reporter, whether it's the two to three people in the booth, depending on which broadcast you're listening to, or heck, I hate to say it, even the commercials are filling time now in between all of that. And we got bathroom breaks and all of this and that. So I, I agree. Let's, let's, let's cut the the three minute timeout breaks, uh, commercial breaks and get more, get more yeah. of the product going, but that's never going to happen. You know, and so like, you know, making the game faster by making the clock run where you're cutting down on plays. That's not what I want. I want plays. I don't want TV timeouts. Like if you really want to make me happy, Get rid of all the TV timeouts and or cut them in half. Cut all of them in half. Listen, if you cut all of those three minute uh, commercials in half, I mean, I don't know what are there 25, 30 commercials breaks during the game. I mean, you cut that in half, you're saving almost a half hour or two an hour. I mean, like you're saving a ton of time by cutting commercial breaks. But you're you're more concerned with trimming nine game nine plays out of a game than you are cutting the commercials. And I just think it's it's laughable to be completely honest. Hello, Doctor. Jay will. Dan, I have a question, yes. and I, I'm curious. I don't know what the stance is on it. Talking about timeout, uh, TV timeouts. Before we get to the second high topic, what is the coach's stance on TV timeouts? Obviously, this is more time for them, where they get to be in the huddle with their team and talk over, you know, game plan, strategy, stuff like that, and they don't have to burn a timeout of their own to get this in. So, you know, are they cool with it? Are they like, hey? Don't take that away. I, I, I utilize those a lot. My players, you know, can use those a lot because it's, it's an extra break. It's a longer break. Or they same with us. Let's just get this game on the road. I have no idea, brother. I, I, couldn't, I couldn't even begin to tell you. I have no idea. I mean, I think you made a great argument where they would probably like it. Um, Kirby Smart wants to take every opportunity to make tweaks and, and be better than everybody else. So, I, Okay. <laughs> I, I'll go with that. They like it. What's up, Zach? Dan, second and last hot topic of the day before we get into a, a, a new segment. Uh, the World Baseball, uh, dang, yeah, the World Baseball right. Championship has the same flair and captures the eyes like the World Cup. True or false? Sorry, I stumbled on the acronym there uh, for the World Baseball Championship. Well, yeah. So the, the idea is, does it compare? to the world cup i mean that's what they're trying to do they're trying to get the entire world involved and it's a game that's played everywhere so it's it's not like the united states trying to put a, a world football league out there and then just beating the hell out of everybody that's not what this is baseball's played everywhere hell the united states isn't even the best country so uh very much like soccer so i understand what the premise of it is and i and i love it i think it's fantastic but do I think it is captured the same level of magnitude or is at the same level of magnitude of the World Cup? I don't think so yet. And I think that there's a lot of history behind the World Cup and there's a lot of passion. And soccer is the most uh, the most popular sport in the entire world. So uh, baseball is not not even close. It's not even second. So do I think it is as 
uh, electric and then magnifying magnified is uh, the World Cup. No, I don't. But I think that's what they're trying to do. Uh, that's why I posed a question. And I, I like it. And I hope it really gets the traction that it deserves because it is really cool. Now, like we talked about last night on our show, I, I don't know if it's exactly at the right time. I don't know if there is necessarily a right time. You know, I was like, what if you did it at the end of the season? And Jonathan and Jeremiah were like, well, because all those guys are going to be burned out. Nobody will want to play. Um, you got to have time for these guys to recover. You don't want to have it too soon because then they're going to have to gear up and then gear back down. Uh, I don't know exactly when you do it, but um, I do like it. What do you think, Harrison? I don't mind it. I, I, I definitely think it's a interesting uh, experiment here because you look at FIBA basketball, and I don't know about you, but I'll sit down and watch some FIBA basketball, even if it's not the same gl- uh, glamour and prestige as the Olympics. Heck, the USA has some really good basketball players. I mean, I would say the majority of really good basketball players, elite basketball players reside here are from the U.S., and that's what kind of makes it entertaining. It's the one time of year, you know, where we can see all these people, uh, these superstars come together and, and, and play. We don't get to see that, you know, the only time that we have a quote-unquote dream team, superstars, which we really haven't had since the second one. Back in the, yeah, back in the 90s. Um, it's just entertaining to see. And it's something that happens kind of regularly here. So, hey, I don't mind the World Baseball Championship. I think I've seen some clips on Instagram and, and social media where there's a little bit more celebration going on. You're pimping your bats and and even the pitcher pounding his chest. Like, I'm, I'm glad to see some human emotion showed in baseball now because it's been so long where if you do something like that in the MLB, you're going to get hit by a pitch for it. Just, well, just taking the fun out of baseball has been the saying. If you want to know if there's passion, you should have watched Venezuela, Puerto Rico yesterday. There was passion in that game. If you don't think there wasn't passion in the United States, Mexico, Mexico beat United States ass, 11 to 7 or something like that, or whatever it was. And boy, that home run that um, Joey, I can't think of his last name, but Joey from Mexico hit, he pimped the shit out of that home run. And boy, when he was going around those bases, he wanted the entire country of Mexico to let to know that he just did something to the United States. And, like, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, they don't ever have an opportunity to do that. So, I I think it's really, really cool. Definitely really cool. Now, it is, it is, you know, that's like Dan said, they are trying to make it like the World Cup. Is it there yet? No. But can it be there eventually? Maybe. Uh, But as Jonathan points out in the comments, you know, it's hard to compare because soccer is the biggest sport in nearly every country, quote, uh, quote unquote there from Jonathan, as he says. Dan, new segment, something we're going to touch on, try and catch on every week. Doesn't really have to be college football specific. We'll kind of take it outside of college football, maybe the NFL, maybe the NBA. Heck, I don't know. We'll see. Maybe NASCAR. Probably definitely not NASCAR. I'm joking. Uh, but, Dan, top dog take of the week. Will Tennessee take a step back in 2023? That's kind of... One of the questions in the SEC East, what is Tennessee going to do? He had a really good year, second year in the Josh Heupel, getting to do New Year's Six Bowl for the first time since, I don't even know when, I think the early 2000s, late 90s uh, was the last time that Tennessee went to a New Year's Six Bowl game. And definitely since the first time they won it in a while. But they're losing they're losing a majority of their production, Dan. They lose Hendon Hooker, their Heisman you know, semifinalist at quarterback. You lose your two top receivers, Cedric Tillman and Jalen Hyatt. Now, Tillman didn't play much of the season due to injury, but when he's on the field, he's their second-best guy. Arguably, probably could be their best. 
uh, as he showed last year against Georgia, he had a really good game. Uh, elite speed, was a deep threat, constant deep threat, and then you had Jalen Hyatt. You're also losing Jalen Hyatt, their leading receiver this past year, and you're losing a big piece on that offensive line, Darnell Wright, who by many predictions right now could even slide into the first round despite playing right tackle. You lose your offensive coordinator. I mean, yeah, this is a lot. This is this is kind of – I mean, this is a lot of production they're losing. They set 13 records on offense last year in 2022. 13, Dan. And these aren't some gimme records. These aren't, you know, records that are easy to beat. Total points, they set the record on that. Total offense, second record in that. Set uh, record in yards per play. Really good offense, really good team. Now, they didn't do great against Georgia, but not many did. So, Dan – are you buying in here? Is is Tennessee going to fall off? Or do you think well, they're going to – is this kind of like the new normal? All right. So we have all come to realize that uh, in our group chat, we, um, we, we have the same opinions. And I say that to say this. Jonathan Williams, I think it's hard to lose your quarterback, two top wide receivers, a good chunk of your offensive line, and repeat what you did the year before. That's exactly what I was going to go with, but I was going to follow that up with because you haven't recruited at the level of Georgia. The University of Georgia has done something that only at really Alabama has done more recently where you could lose playmakers and superstars everywhere, and then you have guys who are equally or better that are in the wings ready to replace them and have been coached up well enough to where there is a very minor, if any, lag and the amount of production that they're going to give you. I think Tennessee had a perfect storm. They had a lot of guys and very, very talented. I think they have a good coaching staff. They did have a good coaching staff. I think Heupel's a good a good football coach. I think he knew exactly how to use what he had. I think the biggest issue for Tennessee in this particular year is that they don't have the ammunition to just 100% reload. Like you did point out, they went out and got a couple people – or got. Um, uh, Dante Thornton out of Oregon in the trade in the trench. I almost call it the trade portal. It's basically what it is, except you don't have to send anything back. Um, yes, but they, they have talent. Uh, Brew McCoy. Brew McCoy is one of the biggest enigmas um, recently. I mean, he was super heavy recruited. He committed to like 10 different schools. He ended up at one school, decommitted. I mean, I don't know what the kid is. I don't know what the fuss is because he ain't done nothing for me. Um, I want to see what the kid can do because he's supposed to be super talented, but he hasn't done anything. He wasted his time. Um, the in-house hire of the offensive coordinator, I think, uh, is the correct move. That guy knows Heupel as well as anybody. He could probably tell you what he had last week for supper because he's that close to him. I think if anybody's going to be able to coach in the direction that Heupel wants – and be on the same page as Heupel more times than not. I think he is the perfect choice to do that. Uh, and his name is Joey Halsey, I believe. And I, I think that guy was the right move. And, you know, they have Joe Milton, the quarterback. And everybody has had the biggest, biggest crush on that dude forever because of all that, the attributes. I mean, he's like like uh, why everybody's falling in love with AR-15 right now is because – um, he just has everything that you want. Just can you put it on the field? I think uh, having an opportunity to learn in the system is really good. But there are definitely reasons uh, and solid, solid reasons to doubt that they're going to be able to repeat uh, or you know, repeat the exact production. 
but I still think they're going to be good. I really do. I think they're going to be good, and I think Tennessee is on the up. I don't think they're going to go back into the cellar anytime soon. Um, and, but you know, my biggest question is: can they? Can they? Re- can he recruit well enough to stock the cupboard well enough to produce what he's done uh, in the past? I don't know. And, and Jonathan points out right here: Georgia kind of ran into the issue of reloading after the 2017 season. Now, you know. You didn't make much of a regression. You still made it the SEC championship game a couple times, but you didn't make it back to comfortable playoffs. Uh, And it wasn't until a few recruiting classes later that they finally got back to the national championship and won two in a row. So can Tennessee do that? Well, judging off of this past year's class, they got a pretty good draft class. They got a recruiting class, not draft class. Good, good Lord. Although with NIL, Dan, it is becoming a draft. uh, Yeah, you got that right. (laughs) But... Can, can they put multiple of those recruiting classes together? We'll see. They got a really talented quarterback, really talented. One of the highest-rated quarterbacks in the last year's class, Nico. Uh, Nico, I might even going to try to say his name because I will butcher it. Uh, really talented. He's going to have a chance to go in there and fight for the job. Now, I think this is Joe Milton. Everyone knows it's Joe Milton's job to lose. He showed against Clemson in the bowl game. He has those traits, like Dan points out. He has the traits to make people – Lick their chops to make me people drool. He has a huge arm, ridiculous arm, similar to Anthony Richardson, really big arm. Accuracy, ball placement, that's an issue. Can he be consistent with those two things? Can he be accurate and can he put the ball where it needs to go? He can definitely throw it. He can throw it all over the yard, but can he be accurate? That's going to be the big question with him. One great thing about Hendon Hooker was when he was accurate. Didn't have the biggest arm. He can make the throws that they need him to make, but he was insanely accurate. Those short to immediate throws was where he specialized. That was where Tennessee got most of their offense. Uh, and I don't know if if Joe Millen's going to be able to do that. So with that, with that, that's kind of your biggest question. He has the traits. He has all the traits. He is he's an athlete. He's not he's not a Anthony Richardson athlete, but he, he's going to be able to make some plays with his legs, similar to what Hendon Hooker did. So I'm not I'm not ready to buy in. To Tennessee stock, I, I'm, I'm not there yet, but I'm also not ready to sell. I want to see this defense in year three under their coordinator. They made it a, a pretty good step forward this past year, but can they take the next step? And, and really, you know, that's where they need to take the next step if they want to compete with Georgia for the SEC East. You're 100% right. And, I, like, you know, one of the things, listening to Brooks, he talked about um, this topic not too long ago, and the one thing that he said was that a lot of guys can win once, can you win twice? And I really think that's – and I know that's the question that we're asking, are they going to be able to do that? But that's what really separates a great coach and a great coaching staff from just another run of the mills because a lot of guys can get one coaching staff right, they can get one group of kids right, but they have a hard time repeating it because once you have success – People are going to start stealing from you, stealing players, stealing coaches, stealing ideas, all of those things. So can you adapt? Can you reload? Can you repurpose what you have? Can you just continue to be successful? You know, that was one of the questions that a lot of people had with Kirby after the 2017 season to, to Jonathan's point there, where, you know, we, we we showed up, we got the championship game, and then everybody's like, well, he didn't win it, can he? but, you know, can he get back? Because they'll never have Sonny Michelle and Nick Chubb again. They'll never have this or whatever. Um, so, you know, Kirby obviously and his entire staff and the organization in, in total, uh, they've figured out how to get it right and they've rebounded. And now they seem to be on top of the world. 
But now it's Tennessee's turn. I mean, and then, you know, to a bigger extent, and you don't have this on here, can Alabama do it now? They have to reimagine what they are because uh, it was just rinse, recycle, repeat for Alabama, and they didn't have anybody to challenge them. Well, now Georgia's here, and they are um, a legitimate legitimate threat to Alabama's mantle. And this is the first time in Nick Saban's entire career that he's ever been anywhere that somebody's threatened him. And I don't mean in a, like, I'm going to kill you type of way, but uh, threatened him and uh, uh, I'm not going to let you just run away with things. So I want to know, and, and then the other part of that too is Nick Saban is not a spring chicken anymore. So does he have the internal fortitude and the want to, to fight back? Um, this recruiting class that they put together this year would, would give you the impression that the answer to that is going to be yes. Uh, we, we are ready to take it back. But, you know, I don't know how much energy he has for it. But if anybody can do it, he can do it. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up the point of the recruiting class, and it, it just feels like every year now, it, oh, they put together another great recruiting class. Oh, another elite recruiting class. I mean, it was just – not this past cycle, yeah, but, but two cycles before different. this. Yeah. The, I mean, two cycles before this, though, it was, oh, my God, look at Bama's recruiting class. And, that, I mean, that's that's kind of been the thing for years now. So, I, I really think it's going to come down to can he finally get over the coaching staff, uh, coaching staff attrition? Because it's been a yearly thing now for the last five to six years. Ever since he started winning championships, all those coaches who go there are turning into a stepping stone to go get somewhere else. Can he finally find the right coaching staff, the right fit, the right mixture there to go put together? Because on the field, they're on the field product. They they had all the talent in the world. They were the number one most talented team according to 247 Sports last season. But they're on the field product. They weren't disciplined like in the past. They didn't play great defense. They haven't played great defense for a long time. And, I mean, it just just penalties galore. Just out, out of everywhere. I mean, all those big games they had – there was, there was multiple times where they had over 10-plus penalties. Go find me the last time Georgia had 10-plus penalties as a team in a single game. I can't I, I can't think of it. I don't remember it. So is Alabama going to get back to that same discipline mold that they've been for the better part of a decade? Or are they going to come out here and, and, and be the same old, same old? So, and, and real quick, getting back to the Tennessee point, Dan, because I, you know, I just thought about this. With the college football playoff expanding in the next – Three years, you know, within the next year, T- Tennessee is going to get more exposure, more national exposure. They they definitely started ringing bells this year. They made a lot of noise. They were in the number one team in the college football committee's playoff rankings. I think it was the first week they were number one. Now it only lasted a week, but they made a lot of they made a lot of noise. They're going to have a chance to do that again because really, with this new format, this new college football playoff format, a two loss Tennessee, maybe even a three loss. You can go in there and play postseason football, play meaningful football in the postseason. So how much of a draw is that? Well, the one thing that I would say in Tennessee's defense is that it is a a hotbed for recruiting because they have, through many different eras, recruited really well at Tennessee. Now, you can have like like Vanderbilt's never going to be able to recruit at the level. There are reasons why. Georgia Tech will never be able to recruit – Really well. There are reasons why. Florida, no excuses. Georgia, no excuses. South Carolina has limitations. Um, Florida State, no, you know, no restrictions. I mean, they can do whatever they want. Georgia, but but Tennessee is not one of. Tennessee is not the others. They're one of us. 
They have no real reasons why they can't recruit well. And for whatever reason, and I have never understood this, but so many kids love those uniforms and love those colors, um, the black and the orange and the grays and the whites. And I, I, uh, it's the same thing with Texas, like the Texas all whites and burnt orange. Kids love that. Um, and that is a real a real thing with these recruits is what the uniforms look like. But Tennessee's always recruited well. I remember growing up here in Georgia, I mean, all of Georgia's best players went up to Tennessee. I mean, that was the, one of the things that Mark Rick really wanted to focus on was closing the that, that border down and keeping those guys here because everybody was going to Tennessee for a while. But they have the capability to do that. They have a lot of a lot of Tennessee fans here in Georgia, so I don't think there are no built-in roadblocks for them. It's just a matter of are they willing to spend and willing to work that hard to get the kids. But they're capable, and that's that's the the danger to a program like Georgia or Alabama. Uh, long-term success is teams that are capable. Now, do they have people who are willing? And that's the the sleeping giant that's down there in Florida, in Gainesville, is they're capable massively capable, but are they willing? And recently they haven't been willing. Yeah. And they have the resources, as you yes. said, they have the resources. They're NIL collectives capable. they're building up. I mean, they are capable of getting these top tier talents. I'm interested to see how the effect come, like what the effect of Jalen Hyatt, if he goes in the first round with this offense, you might be starting to build a resume with receiving recruits as to, you know, if you come here, we develop you, we produce you, and we send you off to the NFL. So I'm going to see what that kind of does to their recruiting mold. If they can go out here and say with a resume, like, hey, you're an elite receiver. You can come to an elite offense, an elite program, or not really an elite program, but an elite offensive scheme that can produce you and put you out to the NFL. I'm going to see what kind of effect they have on that. Once Alabama changed their offense, they started to get all these good receiving recruits, started developing these receivers, send them off to the NFL. We're waiting to see still how Georgia's changed the Tom Munkin offense, style of offense, more passing-oriented, more uh, modern uh, offense scheme, helps them produce and get receivers to the league and also get them out of high school. So, Dan, it's, it's spring football season. It is finally here. Spring practice is upon us. I'm I'm looking forward to this spring. I'm looking forward to this offseason as a whole. Uh, it's it's already flying, flying by. I can't believe how fast it's been. I mean, it felt like just yesterday, me and you came on to the show post-national championship uh, and, and just talked all about that game. I mean, we didn't have as many talking points as compared to the Ohio State uh, post-game show, which, man. I just want to say, I don't know if we said this live on air, that show note sheet for the Iowa State game, that was a long son of a gun. Long son of a gun. There's a lot of points Dan and I wanted to hit. I don't know if we hit all of them, but that was a long game, uh, and and it reflected with long show notes. Dan, right off the bat, I kind of want to get your take. What are, you, what are you looking most forward to this spring practice? Obviously, we don't see much of it. We only, we only see a, a very – limited portion but we hear a lot of things yeah we hear a lot of things but we also hear what they want us to hear and that's um i mean that's frustrating but i get it i mean it's just how kirby is you just have to understand it and just live with it so you're only going to hear what he wants you to hear but i mean listen if i'm laying out my we had a successful spring practice if number one nobody gets significantly injured bottom line uh, this is practice. There are no games. No national championships are being won during the spring. 
stay healthy. Get these guys experience, stay healthy. Um, there are certain guys who you know exactly what they can do, and I hope that they have very limited reps because they need to stay healthy. They are more uh, – they, they can help us win by being healthy as opposed to getting extra reps during the spring. The second thing that I really want to come out of this is the continuity of the offense. I want to hear, and I know we won't, but I would love to hear the players saying, yeah, nothing's missing. Um, the terminology is the same. Everything's the same. You know, the offense is just going to keep rolling. Uh, we didn't really have to stop and relearn anything. Like nothing changed. That's that's what I would love to hear. I don't know if we're going to hear it. And if we do hear it, it may just be a load of crap. I don't really know. But I mean, that's I I, I think we all had a lot of faith in Munkin. Um, we grew to love him <laughs> really quickly because he he um, he opened our eyes to what a, an electric offense could look like in the creative play calling. You know what? It's like I don't even really care about the system or anything like that. It's just he was creative. And I mean, how many times? And, and I know we plug him like a million freaking times, and it's probably annoying. But when Brooks does his film breakdown, like a lot of times you see things in full speed and you're like, hell yeah, that's awesome, blah, blah, blah. But then when he slows it down and he breaks the play down to you and shows you why this happened, you're like, holy crap, that was genius. Like, And then to find out that like this guy is setting them up for this and setting them up for this, he's running this play to see how they react to it, and then he's going to come back and run this play, and you're like, well, Dan, every offensive coordinator should do that. Well, you know what? We've had a lot of offensive coordinators at Georgia, and a lot of them have sucked. And we didn't get that creative play calling. And – Munkin was extremely creative, and he he found a way to get everybody involved. And I think that's the one thing I really loved about that offense is he got everybody involved. He never felt like one area of the roster was being ignored. Now, you could say that maybe they don't get the love of the running backs that the previous administration gave the running backs. But, uh, I mean, just football in general is changing that way. So very, very, very few successful offenses can run the ball as much as Mark Rick used to run the ball. But – I mean, Bobo's had a lot of success, Harrison. Uh, you know, he's he's done a good job uh, running these offenses. I'm not saying he's inept in any way. I just want to make sure that, you know, to come out of the spring, one of the things that I'm really paying attention to is how everybody handles that transition. And, and there's a lot of questions about it. And like I said, I don't know that we're going to 100% get the truth, but that is something that I'm paying attention to. I, I think the one thing, and it's, it's it goes off your point of what we're hearing about the offense. It's last year it was Georgia's offense is is, is kicking butt uh, in scrimmages. They are winning against the defense. That was something that was always mentioned, and that was to be expected with the amount of production lost on defense. Georgia's offense should have gone out there and kicked butt like they said they did. And even I think Kirby Smart said in a press conference in season or at, at some point uh, talked about how man the strides this defense has taken. Uh, after getting their butt kicked by the offense uh, throughout the scrimmages and all that and throughout practice. So I, I want to see what that's like. How does this defense rebound? You don't lose much, uh, not compared to last year. You lose Jalen Carter, you lose Christopher Smith, you lose Keely Ringo, but you bring back both your starting linebackers. You bring back the majority of – you lose Nolan Smith. Excuse, I forgot about Nolan Smith. You bring back the majority of your front seven. You have two or three holes in your secondary you got to fill, and we're going to talk about those later tonight. So I, I want to see this defense cook. Uh, like the meme says, hold up, let them cook. I want to see them cook. Uh, I am, I, I'm really excited uh, to hear about this defense because I think they're going to take a step forward. One of, one of the things that I'm looking forward to and want to see answered this season 
Uh, this coming season is can Georgia's secondary, you know, can they fix? I, I think that the, the secondary had their holes at times, had their moments of like, oh my God, this is special, this is a special group. And then towards the end, Georgia secondary didn't look as good. Uh, I don't know if it's if it's scheme, just you know, well, playing elite offenses and playing elite talent. But I mean, did Georgia secondary fall off? Or no. Did, did... So in my, my take on that is 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 the same take always, and you hear it through the NFL a lot too. Is that the defensive line? To Jonathan's point right there. Oh my God, you're like freaking seriously inside my head. The your the defensive line and the deep in the the pass rush is what allows that secondary to be really really successful because if a quarterback's having to hurry and he's having to make decisions quickly, then the secondary has a chance to be really 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 good. But if the if the, if you're asking a secondary cover these elite wide receivers for a long time, ninety percent of the time they're not going to. That's an, that's a percentage I made up in my mind, but I'm just saying that's. Most of the time, if you're asking these guys to cover for three, four, five seconds, that is not going to happen because these guys are too talented and it's just too damn hard. I mean, you can't hold on to them. So the defensive line and then the pass rush, whether it be linebackers or, um, you know, even like the the star and, and stuff like that, you know, we bring pressure from a lot of different areas, but if the interior defensive line can get a lot of pressure and, you know, we saw a lot of, like Barry Alexander came onto the scene last year really made his presence felt. We know uh, Michael uh, Williams um, is going to be an outstanding football player. Uh, the, uh, is TID is back, right? Ingram Dawkins? Yes, yes. yes I want to yes, see he's more back. of him. We didn't see yeah. much of him. I want to see more of him. And then Nazir Stackhouse has been here for God knows how long. Uh, probably could have went into the draft this year. Probably would have gotten drafted just because he's a Georgia defensive lineman. But – um, he, he has a real opportunity to put some really good tape together there. We have enough guys up front and then, uh, you got big jaw and we don't have, uh, uh Robert in, in the comments right now, but big jaw, he would be saying big jaw. Uh, he wants to see him. Get on the field. So we, listen, we got some dudes up front. Now we got some guys that can play. Are we missing? Uh, like we thought, I thought personally, that that defensive line could never be as good as they were with Jordan Davis, and maybe we weren't. Okay, maybe we weren't. But but Carter was one hell of a stud, and he made people focus on him. But the defensive line with Carter and Davis on the same offensive defensive line, I don't know that you can replicate that. Those are two extremely special human beings. But we do have a lot of guys right now that are going to give that a run. And um, you know, to Jonathan's point, that that interior defensive line, we go as they go. And there was an article by Dog Post today that uh, the three-peat runs through the defensive line. That is very hard to argue against. I mean, listen, you can make an argument for anything, right? But I think that is one hell of a place to start. And I think Georgia has some real dudes up front that can get it done. Um, I, pass rush is obviously going to be a thing. We have a lot of different guys that are very, very capable. We actually cover that. Uh, Jonathan Jeremiah covered that position group. I believe we did too, right, because we talked about um, – uh, pass rush out of um, Junior. What's his name? And then we find out Marvin Jones and then Marvin Jones Junior. Uh, yeah, but there's some different guys that can do it. Um, but I, I think that defensive line and then the edge rushers are are probably the biggest question mark going into the season. And if they play well, uh, Harrison, then your concern about the secondary goes away. 
Absolutely. And speaking of the D line, the interior specifically, I'm 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 kind of excited. I'm I'm you know Georgia doesn't as of right now, Georgia doesn't have the freak, the freak in the middle of a Jalen Carter or Jordan Davis or even a Devontae Wyatt. There is no freak. There is no first round freak in the middle of that defensive line as of right now. Now you recruited some. Uh, you recruited one who is making is making some rounds. Had a really good All American game. His name escapes me. Uh, Jordan, uh, shoot. Jonathan, help me out here in the comments. Uh, I believe it was Jordan. Uh, anyways, while that name escapes me, Jordan Hall, there it is. Uh, potential freak. People are saying he's probably the next Jalen Carter. I'm, I'm still waiting to see how that all works out. I want to see Jordan Hall. I think we're going to see a lot of them this year. But the one guy I want to see more of, Dan, uh, out of all of them, is Warren Brinson. Warren Brinson, when you go watch Warren Brinson on tape, uh, it's what he, he's what Brooks would call kind of a flash player in the sense that he's going to flash on tape. He's going to have some really good plays where, you know, he just absolutely destroys the guard and, and gets to the quarterback. Maybe doesn't get the sack, but just absolutely annihilates the guard. And then there's going to be some other plays where it's like, what are you doing, dude? It's like, you know, doesn't, doesn't make that play. Doesn't destroy the guard. Kind of gets in a, kind of gets in a, you know, a battle, a stagnant battle. Doesn't do much. I want to see Warren Brinson put it together. He is a high motor. Uh, and, you know, when he's at his best, he's making plays all around. As Dan brings his dog onto the show. Scratch it, it's either this or they're going to scratch the door because my wife isn't <laughs> home. So say hi, Sky. Say hi. If you aren't watching on uh, on video, this is why you need to watch on video because, hey, we may have some guest, guest appearances here uh, with Dan. But I, I'm excited for Warren Brinson. And that brings me to position battles. There's There's – there's a, there's a few position battles. Now, you go around and ask somebody. Everyone wants to talk quarterbacks. It, it depends on who you ask. Some people will tell you Carson Beck's the the guy, and I, I agree. I think uh, it is Beck's job to lose. He is probably your QB1 as of right now, but it's not without competition. He has Brock Vandergriff, Gunnar Stockton. Those guys are going to be on his heels. Uh, but the more competitive ones, the ones that I look forward to and the ones that we're going to be talking about is in that secondary, as we just talked about. Uh, who's carding alongside Kamari Laster? You got Nyland Green, Dalen Everett. You got safety. Daniel, uh, David Daniel Sisavon, Dan Jackson, Do- Jonel Aguero. Do we see a freshman pop into that starting lineup? Is he that, Mal- that next Malachi Starks type prospect? I don't know. Uh, Dan, which one do you want to touch on first? Because I'm I'm game for either one. I'm really excited about the safety battle because you already got a unicorn of a player in Malachi Starks who really – I don't know if I'd call him a safety because he plays everywhere. He can play corner. He can play nickel. Yeah. He can, you know, shoot. He could probably help you out in the box as a linebacker. You know, Dan Jackson, I think, is probably going to get the first crack at it because he had he he was a significant player on arguably the greatest defense Georgia's ever had, maybe the nation's ever seen. And he was a significant player on that defense. So I think uh, as long as he's healthy, I think he gets right back into that. I'm sorry. I'm trying to fend off my dogs. Um, so I think that's uh, that's a good place to start would be Dan Jackson. Um, I think uh, David Daniel, however he says new name, um, I, I think he you know he's a good player, you know whatever. But uh, Janelle Aguero, I believe, is going to really push. And I said that last year with Malachi Starks and got a little bit of an eye roll. Uh, no, is is Janelle Aguero? Is he Caleb Downs? No, he's not. But he's pretty damn good in his own right. And, you know, I, I think he has enough talent to really push. He may not 
start out the season as a starter, and he may not end up starting, but that kid's going to play. He's going to play a lot. And Dave, uh, Dan Jackson, I think, is going to be – as long as he's healthy, man, I think he's going to be back there because the kid can absolutely fly. He's not afraid to hit. He makes plays. So uh, – and, and Kirby likes him. That's bottom line is Kirby likes him. So I think he's going to be in the fa- in there. But I think if you're talking about those three guys in particular at the safety spot, if I had to pick one who's going to get kind of washed out, it would be David Daniel um, because I don't think he's as talented as Janelle Aguero. Maybe I'm wrong. I mean, I've been wrong about a lot of different things. And I don't want him to be bad or anything like that. I just uh, I think Dan Jackson is going to be uh, kind of an in-house favorite for because he's he's a blue collar he's the blue collar guy though he's a hard worker like he is the type of guy that you can rally around like he's not a diva there's no diva to that guy he's salt of the earth uh just a grinder and um just a hard working dude you know what i mean like he is blessed with some athletic ability now i mean the kid can absolutely freaking fly bottom line i mean he's a sub four three guy i mean he's that damn fast and you know you're rolling your eyes but no he can fly and that's why he's back there. Bro, I mean, listen, don't make me go there. But you're playing in the secondary at University of Georgia. It, it, it's because you, you can yeah. go. You can go. So, yeah. And he's the vet, yeah. Dan. He, he's been there for a while now. And, you know, we, we've talked about it. Uh, it's kind of similar to Carson Beck. Uh, there's been some other examples. Julian Rochester played over Julian Carter his freshman year. That's because Julian Rochester was the veteran. He gets first crack. Dan Jackson is his job to lose. Dan Jackson played over Malachi Starks for a few snaps against Oregon, and then <laughs> they snapped him out of there and said, hell, 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 sorry, Dan, but Malachi Starks is that dude. Uh, Malachi, get in there. So, he, I mean, it, that's that's the formula here. We're going to get the vet every crack at it to lose the job before the, the new guy comes into the block. So we've seen a little bit of David Daniel Sissamon, but I, I, I don't know if, if playing – I think David Daniel probably belongs a little bit closer to the box. Uh, where I don't know how that would mix well with with Malachi Starks because Malachi Stark is just the unicorn. You move him around everywhere. Can can David Daniel play over the top? Play as that post safety because Georgia does go uh, ask some single high coverages, single high looks where this corner or uh, the safety does have to play it by himself in the middle of the field. So you know, athletically, uh, Dan Jackson should be able to do it. I think David Daniel Sisvan is the athlete to do it. But how has he retained that playbook and and, and you know, is he the type of player uh, that people are projecting Jonah Aguero to be? Because Dave Daniels, not no slouch, uh, was the first dog, the lead dog of his class, been committed, was committed to Georgia for a long time, didn't didn't falter on Georgia. I'm excited to see him play. I want to see him play. Uh, and, I th- and I think all three of those guys, we will see those guys to an extent this year. Dan, corner. Corner's interesting. You lose Keely Ringo, who I think unfairly caught a lot of heat. Uh, as we, we touched on it back in the season, caught a lot of heat for, for whatever reasons, who, who starts next to Kamari Lasser? We, we saw Kamari Lasser kind of get targeted a little bit. That was the guy Ohio state kind of went after, but it, it really wasn't that, that obvious, uh, they, they just mixed it up and, and, and tried to take up advantage of certain matchups. And Georgia has two dudes. Georgia recruits corner. Unlike any other. I mean, that's why you have a, a former five-star like Jaheim Singletary transferring out after one year, Georgia has dudes in that room. It, that, that's what it is. Nylon Green, I mean, was a highly touted prospect. Highly touted prospect coming out of high school. It was a big get for Georgia. I was as excited as anyone, Dan, when we got Nylon Green because I heard, you know, I read things about the kid. I watched, you know, I watched highlights of the kid. 
kid looked great. And this year, we may get a chance to see him. We probably will see him. And then we got Dalen Everett. Dalen Everett was the, the freshman standout last year at that position group. Uh, got playing time early and, and, and spring ball due to, I believe, with some injuries um, or some, some off-season surgeries. We saw a lot of Dalen Everett, uh, point being, and he also played in the season. So, Dan, if I had to guess, Dalen Everett's probably the leader in the clubhouse here just because we saw him a lot last year uh, and really didn't see much in Island Green. But, man. Does Georgia have a dude in Nylon Green on punt return on, on, on punt return and on uh not punt return, uh punt team. A gunner. You got a great gunner there. Great speed. So I mean, Nylon Green, I, I I believe Nylon Green is the veteran here. I mean, is it the same thing here? We're gonna give the vet the run? Uh I think the the noise that we heard out of last spring when Nylon Green was good play, great, great play, bad play, great play, bad play, great play, bad play. And the one thing that we know about Kirby is consistency, right? I mean, hell, we've seen them take – we saw him take Keely Ringo out of games and scold him, and, he, you know, he got in Kirby's doghouse from time to time and then put back in, but then he rounded into a pretty consistent corner. Um, Dalen Everett is a guy that we heard a lot about, um, and I think he's going to be really, really talented, but they also have some young guys coming in. Uh, it's going to be a really healthy battle. I don't know exactly what's going to happen. I, I know that we have Kamari Laster. And I remember that was the question last year is who was going to fill the role next to Keely Ringo and could it be Kamari Lasseter? Kamari Lasseter showed up and said, yeah, hell yeah, it's me and nobody else. And you guys can take your competition and get out of here with it because it's mine. And and I would make the argument, and maybe I'm wrong, and I, I would love to have the people in the comments tell me if I'm wrong or not, but I would make the argument that there were times where Kamari Lasseter last year was better than Keely Ringo, in my opinion. I felt like he was the stronger of the two. Um, so I, I think we have a really damn good one on one side. I think Dalen Everett could be that guy. And then um, it's it, uh, the the freshman that I love so much, and his name just went through my head. Is it C.J. Harris or uh, A.J. AJ Harris? Yeah, uh, that guy is a, a bona fide stud, and, and I think he's going to get some run too. So, uh, yeah, but – Man, there's, there's a lot of position battles that we're going to find out a lot about. I mean, I know you don't have this down, and I know you're not prepared to talk about it, but Georgia needs a new kicker, and that is not something that we've had to worry about in a long time. I, mean, listen, I, the I didn't think – I mean, you're not wrong, but I didn't oh, think you were going there. Hey, I, I did not think that, you were going there. Uh, uh, dude, I'm telling you, Thorson's got that shit locked down, Okay. Like nobody, like listen for the next three years. Don't even apply to be a punter at the University of Georgia because our Aussies got that shit on lock. Okay, but the kicking thing is wide open. You've got Jared Zirkle, and then you've got the kid coming in. Um, and then there's another guy that's there too. And I don't even know who that is. It doesn't matter. I think that's Zirkle's job. Dude's got a big leg. I watched him kicking the Army, all the U.S. Army All American game a couple of years ago. Dude could freaking boot it. Um, on the sidelines last year, got to see him kick it. He kid's got a strong freaking leg, and he's mad. He's a big ass kicker too. We haven't had a big ass kicker since um, Rodrigo, I guess. Um, but he's a big dude. I mean, like, listen, he is a he is a tackling option on a kickoff. Like, I think that guy could actually bring somebody down. Um, I don't know anything about that freshman kicker they're bringing in, so don't ask me. But um, yeah, hell yeah, it was bro. Come on. I, I, I had uh, one of our phone calls me and Dan had. I asked Dan about being a punter because Dan was a punter, if y'all don't know. Dan, Dan punted, I believe, in high school and in college, if yep. correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and I asked Dan because I was I was curious, man. 
Uh, I was curious. I, I wasn't – I never played soccer. I wasn't great with my feet. Could never punt the football. Could never kick the football for one. So I was asking Dan some questions about, uh, how, you know, his, his experience is special. So, yeah, Dan, I, I honestly – I thought you were going to hit me with, like, I don't know, kick return because uh, we lost Kyrus Jackson. George lost Kyrus Jackson. Who's going to take over that spot? I don't know. Uh, I believe Kyrus Jackson and Kenny McIntosh were the two the two first options on kick return uh, and punt return. I guess punt return is probably going to be Lab McConkey. Uh, kick return beats me. Uh, I believe Dejan Edwards. Correct me if I'm wrong. I thought Dejan Edwards was on kickoff return team. I don't know if he's going to be in the back. Um, he's going to be the guy, but I, 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 think, I have no clue. I think somebody was saying that um, it was either Raw Raw Thomas or the other one. Um, Love it. Levitt, I think, is a punt returner too, but I'm not sure. But oh, here's one. Here's one, Dan. Whew. Get a breakout from Cole, Cole Spears. Spear? Oh, isn't he a That'd be fun. tight end? Uh, no, no, no. He 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 was a uh, he actually track runner, I believe. Correct me if I'm wrong, guys. All right, Cole so Spears listen. Track well, you just opened the door, and I have had this reoccurring dream that happens all the time that Matthew Bowling is like fuck around, find out. And he decides he wants to play wide receiver. You got the fastest man in America who's six foot tall, could be on the outside. And like, listen, Michael or Matthew, we only need you to do one thing. Run really damn fast in a straight line, and we're going to throw it as far as we can, and we need you to go get it because there's nobody on this football field that can run with you. Ask, uh, uh, what's his face, uh, Richard LeCount. He'll tell you, you can't run that boy down. So I know it won't happen, but in the back of my mind, I'm like, one day he's going to be like, this would be fun, and I, I don't. Hell, I don't even know if he can catch a football, but man, that'd be cool if he could. <laughs> Dan's over here bringing like the dream, the dream scenario over here. He's uh, on campus. He's on scholarship. We don't have to pay the man nothing. Oh my god! I mean, that would be something. Uh, and there's another kid, the guy that just sent like I believe it was the the record for two hundreds uh, for the two hundred at Georgia, uh, one national on, championship. Well, yes, I forget his name. Uh. George's George's track team, man, gosh, what a what a! I mean, they they, they were national runner up the other night, uh, the other I believe it was this past weekend, and you had two national champions, maybe even three, three national, two to three national champions, um, individually on that team. Special track team. I'm excited. They finally got their upgrades to the facilities they needed. Now it's time to go upgrade facilities in basketball and football, or not football, uh, basketball and baseball, and get those facilities up to standard because track probably has the best tra- uh, locker room in all of collegiate track and field. Probably does. Uh, Dan, last last topic of the night. I wanted to talk some offensive line. Uh, George, has a, George has an opening at tackle. You have an opening uh, at right tackle, we believe. Ernest Green is probably the favorite for that. Uh, came in last year and got some praise from Broderick Jones over, I believe it was the NFL Combine. Uh, Broderick Jones praised Ernest Green. Uh, as the guy he sees stepping up next. I believe he was asked about left tackle and said Ernest Green would play left, but I believe a lot of people are saying that Marius Mims is going to be the left tackle and Ernest will be right tackle. George, other than that, other than that opening, Georgia returns three of the five, three of the five starters. Uh, I don't include Marius as a starter, even though he he started in the last two games, the both playoff games. Warren McClendon was the season-long starter at right tackle, but – I mean, shoot, he has the snaps. He got snaps late in the year. He got snaps throughout the year, kind of off the bench, at right tackle, kind of rotated in there. So, I mean, hey, he, he does bring that experience. Um, I mean, wh- wh- what do you think? 
Well, I think, you, like you said, your offensive line is set. The only the only person who I think could really factor in would be um, uh, Warren Erickson. Like, but he has lost favor big time. Like, uh, he, what's his face? Um, Brooks wanted Warren Erickson. Gone. Warren Erickson graduated. He's gone. Oh, is he gone? I don't know gone. what I was thinking. <laughs> I don't um, know are why. You talking I about thought... Michael Morris? Is it Michael Morris is still there? There's... I, hell, I don't know, but you're right. Ernest Green is going to lock it down. We got a good offensive line. I'm not really freaking worried about it. I've lost my train of thought. Take over. I think I just, Ruth with Ruth's the I'm going to bark. bark. Just, just Ruth, you made him bark, and he's he's just uh, – He's lost. Robert's going to come back and clip that, Dan. You better be careful. Austin Blasky, that's probably it, that's, Dan. Yes. I don't know why I was thinking Erickson, but anyway, yeah. But whatever – uh, uh, Monroe Freeling. He's coming in or already in? He's a freshman. I I don't know if he was an early enrollee. Um, Yeah, apparently he was. 247 Sports is an early enrollee. Uh, Five-star. Highly rated guy. That guy's a freaking massive human, and he's going to be playing on Sundays. I think that guy factors in at some point. Dan, just put this into perspective for everybody. I'm, I'm looking on his profile. 247 Sports lists him at six foot seven, 283 pounds. This dude was walking around at the same as the same height as Darnell Washington, and, and it's probably a, twenty pounds heavier than Darnell. Only twenty pounds. Oh, uh, when Darnell was at Georgia, I think Darnell was listed at two sixty. That's crazy. Shows you how freakish well, Darnell was. But he's going to have to get closer to three hundred pounds, probably. Like, Absolutely, you know, or over probably three hundred five is the magic right. for him. Well, yeah. So I mean, you know, that's but that is the the benefit of recruiting the offensive line so well. Is that you have a guy like that who, I believe, I believe if he had to play, he could, right? I, I mean, I'm not saying he would be like the best in the SEC. That's not what I'm saying. But like, if we had to play him, I think he could. But the benefit of uh, having such a good offensive line is that he can come in, gain the weight that he needs to gain, get stronger, and learn the system, and and just find his way and not be forced in. I mean, listen. Andrew Thomas came in and was ready, made to play day one. And a lot of people said, oh, you don't start in SEC as an offensive lineman as a freshman. He just like, hold my beer. Uh, and he was absolutely fantastic. Uh, the guy for Tennessee did the same thing. Um, kid from Georgia that went to Tennessee. Um, what's his name? Uh, he started three years or four years on the offensive Plays line. for the – does he play for the Chiefs now? I, I don't know his name. First round draft pick, I think. But, like, um, but yeah. Oh, here we go. What do we got? What is Roots? Roots? I, I can't help but focus on you, Roots. Roots, I'm sorry. Roots, Roots, this Falcons. Please play uh, Darnell Washington. Blocking help and catch. Imagine him and Pitts. Please, just not with the eighth pick. <laughs> hey, I was on the Darnell Washington to the Falcons train back yeah. earlier in the Don't year t- thinking about that. And Don't tell him. Don't tell him. Don't, you'll, sadly, you'll him. I think it's off the, it's off the table uh, with this Jonu Smith trade. Uh, I think it's off the table unless they cut Jonu, but I don't think they will. John, who's an Arthur Smith guy, and I know it's going to get some. Dan doesn't look too excited about it. I oh, would I love, care. I would love for Darnell to go to that team. I would. I'm not a Falcons fan, but it would work so great. You need that modern day Y. You need the inline tight end who can block. Darnell fits that. He would free up Pitts to go play on the outside. Heck, he would even allow John o. Smith and Kyle Pitts to go into a three receiver set. Those two being the two outside guys because those two are freaks uh, outside, but. That's going to wrap it up for today's show. Uh, you got my Falcon Spiel right there. You can probably catch uh, Dan's Falcon Spiel Sunday night uh, for the 4Y podcast over on the Film Guide Network. 
definitely going to be talking some Falcons. That's that's the home team for everybody over there. Uh, and after the start of the week the Falcons had, boy, is there going to be some excitement. Start cooking the cake in there, Dan, because uh, Terry fought now. He's coming for everybody. He's coming, as Deion Sanders would say. That's going to wrap it up for episode 82 of this uh, Top Dog Talk podcast. I'm your host, Harrison Reno, co-host Dan Kiley, a.k.a. Mr. Rant. Uh, it's been a couple of weeks since I had a, a rant, okay? So I'm going to have to make sure that I have a good one for next week, and uh, I bring the thunder. Dan, I, I have an idea for you. I saw it today. I wanted to put it in the top. I dare? I had an idea. Uh, I had one for the Top Dog take, but... I think I decided we're going to save it. I'm right by you to see if you want to do it. But anyways, come back for Dan's rant next week because I think you may like this one. Uh, Guys, we'll see you back next week.